the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. First hour of my show, I typically try to dedicate to strategy. Sometimes I skew off that. Second hour of the show, I typically dedicate it to topical daily news. Um, It doesn't always work that way, but I'll give you an idea of what I did yesterday. I'm pretty honest with you. I think to a fault. Um, I, I have a spouse who's mad at me for some of the things I've said about her family on air. She's like, they could be listening. I'm like, I don't really care. It's not that I don't care. It's just that I, I, I think unfiltered is, is the way to go. I've had ideas for podcasts called like raw black raw, no music, just me and someone else in the industry talking at a bar or me and you talking at lunch with a microphone. I've had a concept of Rob Black After Dark, which is a drinking show where it's a call-in show and you can call in with love or you can call in with financial questions. Um, Love is expensive. It's a big part of the financial component to getting you to retirement. So what I did yesterday is a little bit goofy. And again, it's a little bit too much about me and it doesn't have to be about me, but I'm 50 plus years old and I'm still figuring stuff out. I think that's a good thing. Um, so I'm probably old enough to be a lot of your kid's dad, right? <laughs> You're saying, duh. If I'm right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I love credit card rewards. I save anywhere between two and 5% more than you because I use credit rewards on all transactions. Now, again, that's not true totally. I don't use credit cards on my mortgages. Um, but if I could, I would. And no, I'm not going to pay 2 and 5% to get 2% back on a credit card. I'm not going to be that kind of tricky. Although I see those stories on occasion where someone uses a credit card to buy a Tesla. And you're like, okay. Uh, it's just not my thing. So yesterday, okay, here's my credit cards. I got a city double cash, which is good for everything except for my travel, my hotels. Um, my flights, I guess it's travel, right? Um, I've got a Hilton American Express, which gives me diamond status at all Hilton hotels and Hilton resorts, plus one free night a year. Um, that's been pretty effective for me when my kids were small, doing soccer tournaments, getting that platinum membership and check in super fast as well as points and free stays and using those transferable points to airlines outside of the ones that I typically use. Um, 3% back on all hotels and travel. I use a dining card, Chase Sapphire preferred for travel, for restaurants, for hotels. Um, I'm dropping my Hilton because my kids got older and we're no longer, I'm too big of a man to stay in a room with another child. With another man, essentially. A man child. He's a man, baby. 
Um, one area that I've really failed in is a credit card for good gas purchases and good grocery stores. And I found it yesterday. For me, I use Verizon. I think you're, you know, you have three choices in mobile. Verizon has a pretty good card for grocery and gas combined. And it's not a $500 spin category. I hate those. We'll match 3% up to the first $500, then 1% thereafter. Like, no. That's the bane of my existence. But the Verizon credit card, it takes $10 off every line that I use and family of four. So that saves me about 10% to 6% on each phone line. That's pretty good right there because my phone bills are, you know, 160 bucks. So to knock off 40 dollars here and there um plus it gives a hundred dollars back i don't really care about the hundred dollars back um but it gives three percent on dining don't care about it i already have a dining two percent on verizon purchases Eh, okay so maybe i'll be more inclined to use it to buy my next apple phone probably not it's there if i want it it gives me one percent on every other purchase boring city double cash trumps it but 4% on grocery and gas purchases. So yesterday I, I did my thing. I got another card and I canceled one. What sucks is I changed my credit profile. I canceled the Hilton American Express. I didn't know. Wait, wait, let me correct that. I didn't cancel it. I downgraded it. Instead of playing, paying for the premium version, I downgraded it to a non-paying annual fee. So I still have all my points. I still get the... 15 times points when I go on vacation at a Hilton property. I still can get ridiculous, you know, um, Hilton hotels with that. But again, I'm not going to do that very often. Although in October, I have to go to a, a seminar and be away from my home. So I don't mind staying by myself, but it's just not as functional. To be honest with you, I'm looking for an Airbnb card um, because my kids are big, but my kids are large. We just went to Old Town Alexandria and had an Airbnb. And again, I didn't use my Hilton card, right? It was kind of a wake-up call. Wake up, Mr. Block. You slept in. Um, and what we did was we got into Old Town Alexandria, which is a very old city. It's got cobblestones. George Washington and founding fathers helped form our country in Old Town Alexandria. It could have been Philadelphia. It was that kind of the importance in the American Revolution. So my kids got to stay in a house that's 10 feet wide, four stories high. I'm 6'1". So when I'm walking through the place, I'm like, if I laid down, I take up about the whole width of this place. And it's cool. It's an old wooden floor, but you get the idea. So I picked up the Verizon card. So I now, I need one more card down the road. And it's probably an Airbnb rewards somehow, some way, some shape. I'll find it. It may already even exist out there. I've just never thought that I needed it. So again, on the Verizon card, um, I get 4% off on grocery and store and gas purchases. And you can do the math on this and you can save a lot of money. You know, what are you spending at the grocery store a week? $400? So let's say that's $1,600, right? A month. How much do you spend on gas a month? Um, let's say $100. I don't know. 
if that's right or wrong, I have an electric vehicle, but I also have my truck uh, that I take to the mountain on a basis. How much is my Verizon bill? Okay, 160. How much do I spend at restaurants? Let's just say 100, just to throw that one in there. I'm going to put nothing else on the card. When I calculate it, what I'm going to save every month is $74 for a free no annual percentage great card. $74 every month times 10 is 740 810 $880 a year for my grocery savings, my gas savings, and my uh, wireless phone bill savings. I wish that it would give me protection on my cell phones if I lost them or damaged them. It doesn't. There are cards that do that. Um, but mathematically, Ryzen's credit card makes a lot of sense for me and my family where we are today. Chase Sapphire Preferred, Verizon Credit Card, City Double Cash. Those are my three primaries. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. Helping us make sense out of what's happening on Wall Street. It's my favorite segment of the week, Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Patrick, I missed you last week, so we have a lot to catch up on. I'm seeing today that oil has dropped below $85 a barrel, and yet, is it good news or is it bad news? And is bad news in the job market good news? Is good news in the job market bad news? There's a lot to figure out. What do we need to know? What are you seeing today? What's going on out there? Yeah, good good morning, Rob. It's good to be back with you. Um, You know, the the market in its current form is really consumed with kind of like the macro picture. Right. And so while the downturn in, in energy prices is ultimately, uh, you know, something that would be constructive for consumers of energy, uh, it's still being looked more as a reflection of uh, concerns about, about economic growth slowing. Uh, and, of course, you can then extrapolate from that that if you get a slowdown from economic growth, you, know, you could potentially get more job losses, which are not good for the consumer. So it's just, uh, you know, the market's just kind of like caught in its own, um, uh, you know, um, sense of negativity at the moment. So it's not translating to positive things for the equity market necessarily that oil prices are coming down here. But eventually it it should and it will because uh, it will help, you know, relieve inflation pressures. uh, And it will also, uh, you know, help mitigate some of the effects of the rising cost of energy that have been really hitting consumers uh, for many months now. Now, let's talk a little bit more about bad news is good news, good news is bad news, and the Federal Reserve. I've heard that the Fed, from talking with people like yourself, but I think you're the smartest of the smartest, that the Fed wants the stock market and the cryptocurrency market to go down to kind of eliminate a little bit of the speculation or the froth. Do you think that's possible that they have a like a cabal amongst themselves that are targeting certain sectors of our economy? Um, you know, I don't think they look at it uh, that you know, on such a granular basis. I, I, I do think huh. that you know they 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 don't want easier financial conditions, and that you know. Can mean a range of things, either higher stock prices, lower interest rates, you know, uh, ease of getting credit. Um, you know, they're they're trying to stamp out inflation, and and to do that, you need tighter financial conditions. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the consequence of that will likely be, you know, uh, falling equity prices, uh, less demand for you know homes, uh, and, and 
and things of that nature. And so they want, and, and I should add, you know, probably more job losses too. I mean, you know, the Fed is aiming to uh, try to, you know, stifle some of this demand to help uh, for not only for goods and services, but for labor as well to help bring down the inflation rate. And they're seemingly intent on really uh, driving home that point now. Uh, and that's the kind of like the inflation fighting force that the equity market's going to have to reckon with for for a while here. I bring up again and again and again the Federal Reserve because the market seems to be kind of spooked by the Federal Reserve right now and maybe a 75 basis point hike in September. From what I've seen in the last 20 plus years is that it takes about nine months for interest rate hikes to really slow an economy. It takes about nine months for it to really grease the economy, but Wall Street's a discounting mechanism of six months in the future. Do you kind of agree with where I'm going at with this? Like, should they slow down? Should they wait to see what happens? Is fighting inflation more important? Do you think we get 75 basis points in September? Because I I think that seems to be the next flag that we got to pass through on the stock market ride. Right. Yeah. Uh, I do think that we'll see 75 basis points in September. Of course, we're going to get the consumer price index out uh, next week. Um, but, you know, even if there's a moderation to, say, 8% year-over-year inflation versus 8.5%, you still have a, a big inflation problem on your hands. And and I think, you know, what what really uh, kind of uh, availed itself at that Jackson Hole Summit really is uh, the terse manner in which the Fed chair delivered his, his speech, his brief speech on the need to get inflation under control. It's just you know, it really was a wake-up call to the equity market that this is not the Fed that they they used to know. Uh, and basically, what I mean by that is that the, the the Fed that the market used to know, the stock market, was that it was the the stock market's friend. You know, it was there with a the Fed put. It was going to provide that support to help you know uh, stop any you know rapid sell-off. And uh, and that's not the message now. You know, the Fed is sounding very uh, focused on getting inflation back down to its 2% target. So while you're right to, to indicate that, the, you know, the market is, is spooked by the Fed right now, I would, I would add that I think it's also saddened by the Fed because it recognizes it's lost its best friend. And, uh, and when the Fed is not the market's friend, it becomes very difficult to achieve this, you know, multiple expansion and, uh, and this, and to, uh, sustain the speculative energy that was so, uh, uh, consistent with what we saw in that bull market move, uh, off the pandemic lows. So it's just a different market environment because, you know, the Fed is no longer the stock market's friend. I've taking over control of this conversation, talking about the Fed and interest rates, what would you have me ask you or what would you like to talk about? Well, you know, I think that, you know, we're seeing some really interesting uh, things going on in the currency markets these days. Um, the okay. dollar has just been uh, a stalwart, uh, largely because uh, other currencies have been, uh, you know, just extremely weak. You know, the yen in particular, the euro, uh, and then we just learned today the British pound uh, at its lowest level against the dollar since 1985. Um, so, uh, you know, and that's, that's partly a reflection of, you know, uh, not only interest rate differentials, uh, but also uh, concerns about uh, slowing growth and, and the you know, specter of recession hitting the U.K. economy as well as the eurozone um, sooner and perhaps harder than what we might 
eventually see here in the United States. I mean, the United States is certainly going to see and has been seeing a slowdown in economic activity. But uh, as we've discussed, you know, many times before, uh, you know, the risk uh, is that the Fed, you know, over tightens uh, and, and, you know, ushers in a hard landing for the U.S. economy as opposed to the soft landing it's uh, trying to achieve. Uh, but those currency swings, you know, uh, could potentially be problematic in ways we don't know about yet. Uh, they're definitely a, a headwind for the earnings growth prospects for U.S. multinational companies, but uh, they certainly have a uh, uh, pronounced uh, impact on emerging market economies. Uh, and now we're seeing more in terms of other developed economies having to contend with the strong dollar and uh, and then the corresponding weakness in their home currencies that just exacerbates the inflation problems that lead to their central bank needing to raise rates that then lead to slower growth in those economies. And so it's a really tough cycle that we're uh, likely entering here, and it could be a little bit before we can emerge from it. I'm not going to get too personal, but I know that you've recently taken one of your children to tour colleges. Let's go back 18 years. You were a much younger man. Did you ever see colleges costing today, room and board, tuition, what they do versus 18 years ago when you were the father to a young, miraculous little child? <laughs> um, and and talk about inflation maybe a little bit and how bad it is for our economy, or maybe it's good because it's paying college people more money. I don't know. Yeah, it, you know, I, I think back to when you know my daughter was was born you know, 18 years ago, and and um, and I knew then, I heard then anyway, what college costs were projected to be, you know, when she was going to be in college, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and we're there, you know. I mean, it's it's just been uh, obviously, you know, the cost of higher education has uh, continued to escalate beyond just the typical rate of inflation, and um, you know, and it's uh, uh, the be coy about it. It's not cheap. <laughs> so, um, but I guess getting to your to your question though about inflation, um, you know, a little bit of inflation is, is good for an economy, right? right? Um, and that's why you have these kind of like lower targeted rates in the two percent range. Um, but when you get this, you know, kind of runaway inflation we're getting, it's very detrimental, particularly for lower income consumers and those consumers who are on fixed incomes. Uh, it just really, uh, really undermines this. The, uh, the, the standard of living because the cost of living becomes that much more uh, challenging. And so it's important that the Fed gets this uh, inflation factor under control and back down toward its uh, 2% target uh, as soon as possible. Thank you for talking about your daughter in college and 18 years ago. I don't ever like to get that personal, but I thought that was a good one to hit, get personal on. Is there anything else that you're working on right now? I guess we have midterm elections we could talk about, or is there anything more interesting to you out there? we got about one minute. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't haven't turned so much to the midterm election issue. I think, you know, what we can uh, divide, uh, you know, sort of think about now is that it's you know going to be, I think, you know, one of those contentious political cycles uh, that we're just kind of stuck with. Um, but uh, but I think really the f thing I'm focused on is just what we talked about is just this reality check for the equity market here that the Fed is no longer its friend. And it's a matter of when the when the Fed comes back around to being its friend again, the issue is a question of timing. It's going to happen, but the, it's uncertain as to exactly when, and that's problematic for the equity market. Thanks very much for being with us. It's Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com. 
clearly one of my favorite interviews for the past 20 years. It's been consistent. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. Briefing.com is a reliable source of domestic and international news. It is a very thorough website. It is one of the very first things that I go to on a regular basis. Every single morning, I read his page one. Right now, I'm looking at their update on the stock market, which gets updated every 30 minutes as far as a big picture of what's going on today. Buying into a short-term oversold situation, strengthened mega cap stocks, falling treasury yields and oil prices, strengthened utilities, consumer discretionary, communication services, information technology, weakness in energy. I think it's a great site. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. You can find briefing at briefing.com. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. This is a segment that I'm strangely excited to talk about. And I'll tell you why. I've worked my entire career, probably since 18 years old, including college, including my first job, including what direction I wanted to take so as to not work for the man. One summer job, I worked for AT&T and I had a boss who was just a complete tool. Didn't like it. Didn't like taking direction. Didn't like taking criticism. Didn't like his negative feedback. If you're going to give feedback to people, don't just highlight the negative. That's just cruel. So I was like, I got to go a different direction. And why? Because I've been working since 18 on my career and on education because I wanted to fall in love and, and be in love. It was a thought that was probably ingrained in me as a child. I wanted a wife. I wanted to take care of everyone. I wanted a kid that I could kind of fix the mistakes that my dad uh, imbued on me. What what mistake did he imbue on you? Negative criticism. He only, I wasn't ignored. I, I, I was, he paid attention to every mistake I made. And it's funny because I did a little family reunion this weekend and I'm wildly more successful than anyone else. And here I thought, you know, I'm a failure here. I thought I'm, I'm not up to snuff here. I thought I don't have a lot of self-value and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked and suddenly it, it all fell in place. Right. That's weird psychology. If I were to go back in time, I, w- I would strongly suggest to myself, chill, man, chill. But look at this headline. Women who stay single and don't have kids are getting richer. There's a lot going on there. Don't have kids and staying single. Forgoing marriage and parenthood has a bigger payoff for American women than men. Interesting. First and foremost, I think, is it because they can become executives and we don't criticize women executives who are single without kids. We criticize women executives who are balancing their marriage and their children with their, I think, let's see where we're going to go with this. Bloomberg did a story and they interviewed Ashley Marrero, 43-year-old who feels a deep sense of satisfaction from her job as a sales representative for a maker of medical devices, which brings her into contact with patients. She relishes all of the lifestyle and financial freedoms that come with being single. Child-free woman in a well-paying job that includes an apartment in New York City, a new beach house on the Jersey Shore. Frequent travel for pleasure as well. Where are you at with this one? Every now and then I want to stop and ask you, how, how does this make you feel? Her quote to Bloomberg was, I love my life and feel very fulfilled. I love children and I love all my friends' children, but I don't know if I would love my life with children. So here's some statistics from 2019. 
the latest numbers that we have. Single men with children, single women um, without children, with children, pulling off motherhood or forgoing it entirely as a result. Many are advancing further in their careers than prior generations entering a new frontier of wealth. Single women without kids had an average of $65,000 in wealth in 2019 compared with 57000 for single child-free men. So the women are past the men when they get to focus on their career and being single. The women sacrifice their career when focusing on husbands and children. Parenthood was losing its appeal even before COVID-19. This is something you've heard talked about, whether it was naively by me saying social security is not going to last. It takes 10 people to pay for my social security when I retire. And for my kid, it's going to take 20 people to pay for his social security. We don't manage what we take in versus what we pay out very well as a nation. But parenthood was losing its appeal before COVID-19. I have, who was now an ex-employee, he was like, nope, don't ever want to get married. He's got a girlfriend. Um, I see them on Instagram having the times of their lives. Another employee was a female. Um, they don't want to get married. I see her and her boyfriend having the time of their lives on Instagram. Pew Research last year found that 44% of Americans age 18 to 49 who don't have kids say it's not too likely or not at all likely they'll procreate someday. That's an increase of seven percentage points from 2018. This is an alarming flash the bell on society because we do need taxpayers that are called babies today. In 20 years, we need that baby to start going to college, spending money growing up, spending money in college, spending money on their first apartment. Um, but there's going to be a lot fewer kids entering the workforce in 20 years because people are feeling more and more comfortable without working. Birth rates, you can go to census.gov and get this information, have been falling for the past 30 years as people get married later in life and put off having children. I did that. And I kind of wonder, you know, I told you if I could do it all again, would I do it the same way? But I didn't get married until my 30s. And then that marriage lasted under a year. So I got married again. Then I started uh, having kids and I'm a little later in life. I've got a brother who is a little bit older than me, and he has a one-year-old. I'm like, okay, when she goes to prom, let's do the math here. You're going to be almost 70. You're not going to wait up for her. You're not going to see if her boyfriend treats her right. You're going to be sleeping. And I got a good chuckle out of him. But we're having kids later in life. Experts point to the rising cost of raising a family. It stinks. Um, see, and, you know, math tutor is this amount of money. Um, supporting their habits, supporting their passions is a lot of money. Putting clothes, putting food. When a new school year starts up and everything's hectic and you're trying to figure out schedules and figuring out bedtimes and figuring out devices. Uh, it's not fun. 
the expense in bringing up a child born in 2015 through 2000, uh, through age 17, born in 2015, running until age 17 will be about $310,000. That doesn't calculate in college. So $3,010 if you have a baby in 2015. So if you have a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old in that ballpark, you can look at them and say, you're going to cost me a lot of money. Several studies have demonstrated that working women are subject to motherhood penalties, either during pregnancy or after they give birth. What's that? Um, Typically about 15% of annual income for each child they have. There's the consequence for your earnings of having kids. The whole purpose of women's movement is to maximize choices for women so that every choice is a viable one. Income should not be the thing that dictates her. That is totally okay to understand where it's coming from. So I think it's it's, it's an interesting kids and no, or no kids. And I can tell you that society is trending to no kids and being single, no kids and saying, I'm going to date. I don't know what the long-term effects are, but I'm starting to think about it, and I see it in people all around me. Find us at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black, sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. Chad and I have known each other for, I think, roughly 25 years. I think that's probably maybe 23, 24, or 25. I was working as a registered investment advisor. As a very young man, and he was working as a financial planner, a certified financial planner, a designation that was not new, but he had come from the background of insurance. He was in Oregon. I was in Washington, D.C. I think we were both bringing a young man's approach to investing, maybe a new take. We worked very hard. We became very successful. Ultimately, we sold our company to EP Wealth because they have more to offer than what we could. And hiring becomes a problem when you grow in the industry. So one of the most important things that you're going to need to know when you're wealthy and working with a financial planner is, do you really want to work with a one-man show, a 10-man show, or a company that's got 100-plus people and a staff that is more dedicated to serving the person that's serving you? Um, I don't know. I think there's many ways to skin the cat. Poor cat. He bounces and he gets skinned, right? Um, but I think the truth be told is that I think things get more complicated through the years. Some families have the nuclear family where there's multiple divorces and multiple remarriages. Some have the gay and lesbian and homosexual mom and dads. And in some parts of society, that's totally acceptable. And in some parts of society, that's a little bit tougher to work with financial institutions. Um, even though it shouldn't be because of civil rights, I think we all kind of know that I'm speaking of a little bit of a truth. Um, I love Chad like a brother, and at times we don't like each other because we don't always see eye to eye. Um, and I think that's also very, very important when you're working with a financial planner is that sometimes he's going to say things that you don't want to hear. And you got to think, okay, this is my best interest. I liked him at one time. Let's move forward. I've asked Chad numerous times, hey, what about me? What do you think? Do I need uh, disability insurance now that I'm in the last five, 10 years of my debut two world? I plan to keep working. I plan to keep doing this podcast. I plan to keep um, helping you until I'm 70 or dead. I like this gig. 
you know, maybe I'll pick up a side gig, like volunteering, but I like this. I like talking to you. I like learning. It's kind of my thing. And I feel real comfortable with it. That's a little background on the history of CFP, Chad Burton and Rob Black. And what I believe some of the modules that EP wealth that is able to uh, direct that I've never been able to is real estate analysis. We have some fancy computers that have some fancy software and software works in modules. And for instance, I have a home that I bought 25 years ago in Raleigh, North Carolina. I like buying real estate in college towns. Call me crazy, but that kind of works for me. Um, Just automatically in my head, I think I've always got renters. College towns typically have hospitals. College towns typically have fire departments. College towns typically have teachers. College towns typically have students. Um, That has always helped me feel comfortable thinking that I'll always have renters. So I bought a home for $140,000 25 years ago. And the first couple of years, it was a little bit of a fixer-upper because I had bought a home that needed a little fix it up. Through the years, I'd have renters in it and I have a great property management company. Why do I have a property management company? Because I would never ever own rental real estate unless I did. I don't want to be a landlord and I don't want to be the guy who argues with someone. Oh, you tore up the bathroom and I have to need a new toilet out because you cracked it. Because I didn't crack it. I flushed and it cracked. How many times does that happen? How many times has it happened that like, oh, they don't have the rent money and my rental company that that's involved, they pay me the bill and they go after the people. I would much, much rather that relationship. I know I'm not as profitable. And see, that's where the, uh, the thing comes in. My children know that I have this ritual property. My children know that it's there. I don't know if right now it's $350,000 from 160000 Basically 15 to 20 years. I'd say 20 years now. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, um, I'd say 17 to 20 years. So it's doubled in that period of time, which is typical on real estate, believe it or not. I know you're saying, I'm used to California real estate. I want more. <clears throat> nope. Assets grow like this. Stocks are number one. Bonds historically have been number two. Real estate has been number three. Now, real estate has the advantage of location, location, location. I'm telling you, Raleigh was a great investment for where I was 20 years ago, and it did nicely, but it's such a small part of my overall wealth now, I have to run a real estate analysis on it. If I were to sell it, pay the taxes on capital gains, do I have capital gains taxes? Nope, it's not up to $150,000. So I get that exclusion, right? Well, not quite, because I didn't live in it. Oh, then I have to take a look at, right now I'm charging $1,400 a month of rent. So it's going to come out to about 16000 a year on a $350,000 asset. What rate of return of, is that? It's lower than historically um, putting it into a REIT. So it's cash flowing nicely and it's paid off mostly. Um, and it's in good condition and I could definitely sell it. But I'm not getting as much out of it as I would want to. It's actually a pretty close number, but it takes a, a real estate module to tell me that. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. At EP Wealth, they have that. They have the software to run analysis on stock options. They have the module that can run the analysis 
on, you know, alternative investments versus traditional investments. Software is kind of like a super employee, if that makes any sense to you. So that's the history, a little bit of me and Chad and EP Wealth and why I did what I did. I was on the investment advisor side and the um, talk to people side, get people interested in saving for retirement. I've done a great job of that. Um, I can tell you thousands of people have gotten hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars because of me. Uh, just me in, in, introducing them to investing, me introducing to them that's not a game, me introducing them that down market is buying opportunity, not a selling situation. But Chad was a financial planner and he has this ability to bond with individuals that I really don't. Um, COVID has been good for me because I don't really like working in an office environment. COVID has been good for me because I, I, I can talk to you. And now we get to introduce a new thing into our conversation. What happens if there's a pandemic in retirement? Just like in 2008, what happens if there's a housing correction? 2000, what happens if there's a massive tech stock correction? 2016, the Trump administration. 2020, the Biden administration. 2008, the Obama administration. Like You could see how this plays out, right? I've been through many cycles. Every now and then you get something that is totally unexpected, Russia and Ukraine. You know, I'm not a political analyst. I could tell you, uh, Russia is something I would never have predicted. How long this war has lasted, never have predicted. What kind of world recession is it going to cause? I, I didn't see that one coming either. In the long run, I can tell you, capitalism will prevail. And we'll come up with, like, uh, instead of shutting down nuclear power plants, we'll fire them back up. Um, there's never a right or wrong answer. There's just compromises uh, and doing things the best you can. With that being said, you can find me online at Rob Black Show. That's Rob Black Show. You can find CFP Chad Burton at chadburton.com. Um, you can also check out EP Wealth at epwealth.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Find my podcast, The Rob Black Show, at, pod, at podcasts like Google or the podcast button at Apple, iTunes. You can find it. It's at Spotify and much, much more. I'm Rob Black. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.